Colossians 2 verse 20. Last week, I hope you saw some of the uh, hazards and the hindrances to growth, uh, the blight of worldliness and the, the crippling of weediness and the stunting of legalistic, ritualistic, Christless religion. Uh, Paul had laid that out for us in this letter to uh, Colossae and to Laodicea. And uh, he tried to, yeah, what was the example that he used and we used in 2, 6, and 7? What was the analogy that was portrayed for us there? Brought it out now two weeks in a row. It's a practical thing. We see all around us going on all the time. Rooted. Rooted. It's a plant. It's a plant growing. It's a plant that's actually doing pretty good. Uh, Chris, tell everybody what happened with your house because here's what happens when your plants are not rooted and not solid, not structural. This is actually a testimony, but, but tell everybody what happened real quick. Part of a tree, like 30 feet long, wouldn't have light, came down across my house, and it was like the Lord reached out and grabbed it and just brought it over like 10 feet and set it down. Mm -hmm. Didn't smash my house. Kind of scarred my roof. But I have no, it's an open ceiling. So there's not boards up there to hold it. By all rights, it should have came right through my roof, right across my bed, and it didn't. Praise God. Yeah. If you had seen it, I saw it, and I was coming off work uh, yesterday and drove by there, and, and they were flagging me down because there was another tree across the road. And uh, I looked at that, and I thought, wow. How did that tree lay there so well? <laughs> How come it wasn't through the middle of his house? How come it wasn't out in the street? How you know all it did that was really damaging? It just kissed the the roof, uh, just a little tiny bit, but it tore his uh, power drop down uh, that brings power in. But it it was fine, and uh, they got you back up. Yeah, yeah. PG&E come up, got him back up. Didn't damage the weather head that sticks up, that holds the wires going down to the panel. Didn't rip the panel out of the wall. Didn't uh, flatten the roof. Didn't flatten his bed. Didn't kill him. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. But, you know, in the wind, in the storms of life is when we're tested. And that's when the growth that we have is, is actually comes to bear. Is if you're protected and you're never tested, the minute that wind comes at a little different angle. And that's why these trees fall. Live trees that snap off and fall. All it takes is just a little different wind. Go ahead, Kathy. Then there was Madeline's that did come through her house, but God protected her. She wasn't hurt. Yes, absolutely. I remember one uh, down by my sister's house on Coulter, uh, Wendy and Morton's, uh, a couple houses down, and the top of a tree came out and speared it right into the house. So it was a big old chunk of cedar, about 15, 20 foot long, and it just went right through the roof, and <laughs> it looked like an arrow stuck in there. Anyway, so Paul continues, we're continuing with this same idea, hopefully in the back of our head. And what that helps us do is if we think about a plant, it helps us understand the process. God draws that out for us and gives us a living example around us all the time. If you need to know how you need to grow in Christ, look at God's creation. Look at how God has plants grow. Uh, look at how trees grow. Look at the trees that make it and the trees that don't. Look at the differences uh, look what happens when a tiny little beetle gets under the bark of a tree, drills a few little holes and then a few little more holes in a big tree, 20, 30, you know, 120 foot tall, uh, and maybe three foot in diameter, all of a sudden it's dead because of a tiny little beetle. It got in and it wasn't taken care of and it crippled the tree and it killed the tree. Verse 20. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using 
according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And we talked about all that last week. We're just anchoring there. The words that stood out to me and keep standing out to me every time I read this, he says, if you died with Christ, if you died, this brings up a huge point that has to be resolved in our life. If then you died with Christ, and since then you died with Christ, it's the same statement in the Greek. If you did, then this has value for you to understand. If you didn't die with Christ, If you're still on your own merit, your own terms, then what's listed for you throughout this entire passage has zero value for you because your efforts will be self-based and self already failed you from day one. Your ability to save yourself has failed you. Your ability to make yourself perfect has failed you. You're You're not being made perfect because you set your mind to it. You're not being made perfect because you worked harder or got up earlier or or ate more of the right things and less of the bad things. You're not being made perfect through that. Our perfection, our completeness comes through Christ. So the first step is like, you can't build a house without a foundation. You can't build a believer in Christ unless he is the foundation and he actually holds the most important spot, which is what? What spot does he hold in the foundation? Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Because it sets the angles. It sets the foundation for all else within the foundation to hold solid. When you set the cornerstone, now now you've set the rest of the building. Now you're working from there. Only when you're raised with Christ, only when you've died with Christ and been raised with Christ, will these words that we'll see in this passage come out and stand, hopefully stand out to you, seeking to set, to put to death. That's that yanking weeds out by the root. To put off. These four key actions aren't static, but they're continual and they require diligence. And, and I think it's funny, diligence. That's a, that's a good word. I like it. What is diligence? Anybody have an idea? Yeah, it's movement in a deliberate fashion. Uh, any other ideas? Yeah, it has that component to it, but uh, just a little a basic definition for it. It's careful and persistent work or effort. It's careful. It's paying attention to what you're doing. It's just not random. It's not... You know, I'm sure we've all had fast food that the fast food guy was talking to somebody when he made whatever he was making. You know, it's the burger that has no burger in it or it's the salad. He put all the dressing in the box, not on the salad. It's, you know, someone wasn't paying attention. They didn't have diligence in what they were doing. And, uh, or you've had that waitress that came out, wasn't very diligent. And when she stopped the plate, the rest of the food kept going and landed on the table. Anybody had that happen? Or the water pitcher, she's not too diligent pouring it, and here comes the ice. You can always tell a rookie waitress, by the way, when they pour water, if they try to come with the water out the spout and there's ice in the thing, you you know it's not a a seasoned waitress. They got to turn it sideways and kind of shake it a little bit and then pour from the side. Then the ice doesn't fall out. But they all try to run it down that little spout out the front. Doesn't work like it looks like it should. It requires diligence. And it also requires vigilance. So what do you think vigilance is? Diligent, careful work or effort, and vigilance. That's a really good part of it. State of keeping careful watch for constant danger or difficulties. It's being aware. We as believers shouldn't be blind and dumb. God's word gives us wisdom to make us aware of what's going on around us so that we can react in a godly manner. Proverbs, the value of Proverbs, I cannot overstate it for myself, is 
The value of Proverbs is so many times I start to open my mouth and it reminds me how stupid that is. It says, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. Wise. Wise, yeah. Even a fool if he keeps his mouth shut. And there's times I start to answer and I think, whoa. And it's another proverb. He who answers a matter without hearing it is a fool. You know, if you start to throw the answer out before they finish the question, then you got yourself a problem. He says, if then, uh, we're jumping to uh, chapter three. We just moved out of chapter two, the last couple verses. Now we're on chapter three. If then... There's that statement, if then or since then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And we need to note here the above part. Above the earth, above the mean, above the average, above the just enough. Christ is the highest standard. There are so many people that get caught up in religious practice and they, they say, well, I got to keep, keep the Ten Commandments and, 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 and I got to eat this right food and I got to wear the right clothes and I got to keep the law and do the feast and I got to do this and that. But they fail to recognize that Christ himself is higher than the law. He's the lawgiver, the law fulfiller, and he is the royal law himself. So when God gave the law... We read it all through the New Testament. He gave it to us to reflect in us our need for him. You cannot come against the law and look at yourself honestly and say, I can do it. You can't look. Just even at the first 10, you get caught. The first 10, it's a mirror you look into that's just way too honest. You ever looked into one of those, by the way? Uh, my mom had one one time. I think the girls had some one time. It's got like a 25% magnification. You go look at your face and the pimple looks like a moon crater. You know, a little bump that, you know, at a distance is okay. You, you look at it in that mirror and it's too much of you. It's like, I'm seeing way too much here. I don't want to see that. And, and I think, you know, when the dentist puts on them glasses with the super magnifiers, that guy's got to be look, looking like an eerie kind of landscape or something or other when he looks at our faces and our mouth and all that stuff in there. It's not good. Christ, though, is above all else. The above part, sometimes we get caught in the down on earth part. And we measure, how am I doing? We look where? Do we look at the highest standard? No, we look at the lowest standard. We look at the standard of us. We look around us and go, well, you know, they're doing it like that and they seem like they're doing okay. So as long as I'm doing what they're doing, I'm doing a little bit better than that. I'm okay. Well, that's, that's faulty thinking. Because that's not thinking above things that are above. That's thinking of things that are here on the earth. And as good as the earth can get, Christ is going to be a lot better than that any day. His standard is a good standard. It's the perfect standard. The things of earth can only rise as high as man can raise himself. And how high is that? All of man's efforts, how have they proven? God's word records it from day one. In humanity, how has man's efforts apart from God worked out? Not so good. How has my own individual efforts apart from God worked out? Not so good. And so God doesn't call us to, to look around us and find a group of people that we feel like we fit in with because they don't raise the bar too high. What God calls us to is himself, his standard. His idea of completeness is based on him. His law serves to identify our shortcomings. And then God provides the grace and God provides the mercy. And God provides the growth that we need to rise above ourself. Too often we shoot for a low standard just because we think, well, as long as I'm doing better than the guy next to me, I'm doing okay. Verse, go ahead.
Yeah, but what we have to remember, it's not about us. It can, it can, if you're caught in religion, absolutely, that's what happens. It's like, oh man, uh, I can never be that good. So I'm just, I'm going to be in the pew. I can't ever, you know, go out and win somebody to Christ and tell them about Jesus because I'm not that good. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll just come to church and I'll just make it through and I'll just kind of get along and uh, see that's setting our standard here. God took dudes that didn't want to do anything, Jonah's. God took dudes that were running the other way, Jonah's, and turned whole nations around. God took dudes like Daniel that were dragged out of their comfortable circumstances. He didn't set his standard on things on the earth, the king's food, the king's whatever. Daniel set his standard on God, and God raised Daniel up so high that Nebuchadnezzar could only put him in a place of authority and power. Because he recognized to do anything else would, would severely limit the kingdom. He said, man, this dude's got, this guy has connection to God. This guy's going to be good for the kingdom, made him the highest dude in the land, pretty much. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, we see that. But th what they did is that it wasn't Daniel. He, in fact, if you read Daniel's prayer, uh, it's good to see. I think it's eight or nine. Uh, Daniel gets down and starts praying and everything that comes out of him is about how, just how bad it is, how bad, you know, we failed. He says, we, we haven't honored you, God. We, you know, we have sinned. He didn't put himself on a high pedestal, but he trusted God to raise him up when it came time to shut some lion's mouth. God did the work. Daniel didn't do the work. When it came time to interpret the dream, Daniel opened his mouth, but God was speaking through him. So setting our mind on things above, that means putting Christ first. It means keeping him as the standard. It's not, oh, I got to work harder because now I got to achieve Christ. It's, it's Christ. I know I can't be you without you working in me. I can't be raised to your standard. Verse three and four, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The Greek word for hidden, as you would expect, concealed to covered, but it also means to lay up. It's preservation for presentation. As Christ is revealed, we are no longer concealed, but presented with him. And what is the, what is the atmosphere? When we are presented with him, when we're with him, what's the atmosphere? It's right there in the verse. In glory. That's it. Do you feel like your life is glorious now? No, no. Uh, dirty laundry, dirty clothes, uh, you know, just dirty I, life just seems so dirty sometimes i i went out uh, on a call it was down in palermo way in the morning and this feller was screaming and yelling and hitting something they told us and and uh, they gave us a bare description and he rec i recognized it and because we had had earlier information it was a guy who i actually found when he uh, was wanted for murder because he and his brother shot some guy in south side and he's out which amazing, our system is just so wonderful. Um, you know, he sat in jail for like 30 days and the trial's coming up and it's supposed to be in March, but they just turn him out on the street and he's out running around, uh, running amok. And amok, that's the key word here. So we get there and there's his car and he runs into this trailer and hides and we call him out and he ducks his head in and out. Finally he comes out. Well, as I had lined up to go walking and get behind some cover, Casey came out shooting, um, I noticed the ground was a little soft. I wasn't really paying close attention. But, you know, the word amuck, it was mucky. And uh, so after all was said and done, I got back in my car. I said, man, it, sounds, it smells like cow manure in here. <laughs> so what it turned out, there was a big pile next to the guy's car, and uh, it had been kind of mushed up, flattened up, and some leaves on top, and we all walked through it, and it was cow manure. 
Someone had dumped some fertilizer stuff there. <laughs> I had to go scrub my boots. And my car, when I get in it, there's this little odiferousness uh, running amok. And I thought of that. And everything worked out fine. He, he got a free ride to a hotel. And he got a couple nights stay. And uh, a couple free meals. Uh, one hot meal and two bag lunches. And uh, he'll be okay for a couple days. But... To be presented in his glory is to be removed from the muck of this world. To be presented with Christ is a goal that, as a believer, we have to look forward to. It's setting our mind on things above. See, when we died with him, when, when, when figuratively he died on the cross, our sin died with him. That component of our old nature died with him. And it's amazing how many times we're tempted to bring it back to life, to do CPR on the old nature, is we're going to bring it back to life. And we're going to do everything we can to resuscitate. Don't do that. That's setting your attention, your focus on earthly things, not things which are above. Christ has hid us. Christ has covered us. Christ has laid us up for a future presentation with him in his glory. And our presence, what I like there, is that our presence doesn't diminish his glory. That says something changes. Because right now, I'd feel like Joshua, the high priest felt in the book of Zechariah, is he came and stood before God, and it says his clothes were dirty and stained. And the first thing God did in the trial, Satan's there to accuse him. It's Zechariah chapter three. Read it sometimes, really cool. And uh, this picture is beautiful, is what God does. First thing God does before the trial starts, before Satan accuses, before anything happens. He says, give him a new robe. Give him a new covering. Give him a new, is he cleans him up. See, we, as a believer in Jesus Christ, will not diminish Christ's glory when we look to Christ as our standard. If we do it on our own terms, we come looking like Joshua. You know, the robe's kind of stained. Paul said it in Ephesians. He says that uh, we've been, as the bride of Christ, we're being washed with the water of the word that he might present us without spot or wrinkle with him. God's going to do that work. He's washing us with the water of the word. Remember how important the word was in the growth of the plant in 2, 6, and 7 previously? Let's keep going. There's constant work to do, that vigilance and diligence there's weeds to pull, there's danger to avoid, and it comes right here, five through seven. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The presentation of man has never changed. Without God, the basic agents of mankind will always resolve to those components or mix of components. Now, um, Ed, would you read me those out of the Living Bible so we can get some newer English words? Are we, are we in chapter three? We're in chapter three, and that was verses, what was that, five to seven? Okay, go ahead and read it to us so we get a little fresh angle on it. Away then with sinful earthly things. Dead the evil desires working within me have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't worship the good things of life, for this is idolatry. God's terrible anger is upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to cast off and throw away all those rotten garments of anger, hatred, cursing, and dirty language. Okay, he moved ahead a little bit, but that's good. We're going to bring that in as well. But isn't it interesting how all of those components are all internally generated actions? If you think about those things that were listed out, whether it was in Old English, fornication, uncleanliness, 
covetousness. Those are like old words. Or it was uh, brought out into a newer context. Um, either way, isn't it interesting how those are all internally generated situations? The outward manifestation of those actions comes after the internal generation has run its course. The temptation, the seed of temptation implanted, then grows and then is birthed into the degradation. James talks about it. Actually, he used this uh, exact example of the birth process to describe sin's process in our heart, our mind, and our actions. James 1, 13 to 15 says this, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now watch this. Now, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. All those things, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, all those things that he lists out that he says we need to put to death in our members, we need to put to death, those are all internal attitudes and decisions that we make okay with our mind before we actually put them into our hands. It's like we choose, hey, this is going to be fun, I'm going to go ahead and do this, or it'll be okay, it's only one thing. Uh, Lori and I were just talking, we, we heard this uh, phrase, trickle truth. And you know what trickle truth is? Uh, you've all done it, probably. You've all been uh, related to the action. It's what kids do um, when they're telling parts of the truth. And they start out, and uh, mom says, hey, were you in the kitchen getting a cookie? Well, no, I just, I just ran through the kitchen. Oh, well, did you get in the cookie jar? Well, no, I didn't get in it. I tipped it over and a cookie fell out. So I picked it up. So you were in the kitchen getting a cookie. Well, no. Well, did you eat the cookie? Well, yeah, it was in my hand. What could I do? It's that little bit of, you know, a little more truth, a little more truth, a little more truth. It just kind of trickles out of us. Well, that's what's at the root of all these kind of things here is somehow in our mind we've justified. We didn't look at death as the end result and go, oh yeah, I can't wait till this causes death. Uh, unfortunately, when you see addicts every day, and uh, I've had the occasion to arrest uh, many, uh, I, I don't have any uh, bitterness towards them. I don't have anger towards them. I don't think they're less of a human. What I see is just the terrible nature of an addiction and not a single one of them, I ask them about it, not a single one of them saw themselves to be where they are. A girl just told me, she says, every decision I've made wrong has been because of my desire for drugs. And now it rules her life. If she can't get her fentanyl, if she can't get her heroin or can't get her methamphetamine to balance those two out, then she, she will do anything to accomplish that in her life. It rules her life. She, the first day she took the first drug, she never saw that end. She justified, oh, this will be fun. It's just one time. You know, everybody's doing it. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. And gradually it came to possess her. Same thing happens in all these areas is it requires an internal justification first an internal rationalization as you go along and an internal blinding of yourself so you don't see the end or the consequence. Now, that won't happen to me. That just happens to certain people. It's not going to be my consequence. God understands who we are without him as failed human beings in the old nature. So God, through Paul, has given instruction to know that you got to start at the root. you got to start at the seed. You can't let these things root in your life. You can't play with them. You can't set them on a shelf and say, I'll get rid of it some other day. They're internal, and you got to get that cleared out. And how do we do that? By setting our mind on things above. Letting God's word set our standard, not our own rationalization, not our own justification. It's funny, God uh, uses that birth process 
Here again, God's using something natural we can see going on about how desire conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Just like in the birth process, if we took a snapshot of Adam and Eve, what were their first two kids' names? Yeah, just think. First mom and dad on the earth, beautiful world situation around. I mean, they were out of the garden. They weren't actually, you know, in the best of the places. But there's no one out there to blame it on. There's no one else that's making things happen wrong, right? Eve gets pregnant. She has a little pain in childbirth or a lot of pain. We don't know. But uh, God said there was going to be pain with childbirth. And she gets these two little kids and they grow up. And then they're young men and they're out there running around. And then one kills the other one. Think about that. Out of the best of circumstances on a human level... What's the first birthed action? You don't hear about them starting churches. You don't hear about them uh, building um, altars to offer God sacrifices out other than the sacrifice between Cain and Abel. You don't hear about anything. But out of what brought murder? What, what happened? Yeah. And with jealousy, there was his partner, anger, turned into wrath. Wrath turned into murder. Murder turned into death. You see how quick that happened? Wait, these are two beautiful little babies that were just born on an earth that isn't contaminated yet by sin's effect. We live in a world that's contaminated by sin's effect. Everywhere we go, sin has affected uh, human existence here. Uh, It has affected creation it is affected with disease. It is affected um, society. But they just had the four of them at that point. Where'd that come from? Where'd it come from? It was internally generated. Cain, where'd he set his mind? God told him. God showed up before he ever killed Abel. God showed up and said, Cain, what's up? Not he didn't say what's up. <laughs> what is wrong with thou? Something more, you know, probably better. But he, he said, Cain, what's going on? And uh, Cain, you know, was mad. And he says, hey, anger is at the door. Don't, don't, don't let it in. You can't do that. God warned him before he went out in the field and killed Abel. God warned him what would happen, but still, he let that seed grow. Seed was planted, seed started, he let it grow. And it turned into murder. That's exactly what James has shared with us there. See, a good gardener keeps his eye on the target outcome and he realizes that a weed pulled today is a harvest ahead. If you're weeding today, are you weeding for the moment? Is the tomato pop out because you pulled the weed? If you got a plant and uh, you see a weed growing up next to the plant, whatever it is, if you pull that weed out right there, does the plant suddenly burst forth and all the fruits on the plant? No, you still got days to go till the harvest shows up. But you know what? If you let the weed just keep growing, pretty soon it's competing with the plant. Pretty soon it starts to suffocate and take over the plant. Pretty soon its cycle of growth makes more weeds and your plant gets buried and choked back and stunted. So what are some common weeds we need to keep our eyes on and watch out for and be diligent and be vigilant? Well, eight and nine tells us a few weeds. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. It's interesting about all these. These are seeds. Every one of these are seeds of danger. One of these seeds can soon take down an entire harvest. Anger. We all have anger. We all know what anger is. Anger comes up. Anger can go down. Danger comes when anger is allowed to fester or anger is allowed to simmer. Is it concentrates? It gets stronger. Gets more powerful. It's just like reducing balsamic vinegar. I love it, by the way. Uh, reduced balsamic vinegar makes a great drizzle on things. But what you're doing is you're simmering it and it concentrates and it gets stronger because you're getting rid of the water out of it and uh, just under that gentle heat. Uh, anger 
simmered turns into wrath, which is anger unleashed and anger unrestrained. Is anger with just incredible damage potential. Malice, it's the intent to evil. And uh, it's funny in our uh, law systems that malice is actually a fact because the common law of England that our laws are built upon were drawn from God's word. And so here you have a trail where the world has taken a thought or an intent or an idea from God's word and built it into our system of law. So the difference between first degree murder and second degree murder is that one word, malice. First degree murder has an intention. Second degree murder is an emotion. First degree murder is, I'm going to go kill this person. Second degree is anger and wrath that just unleashes and kills the person. And so that's the separation between those two counts, you know, in our uh, system of law and justice. Well, God had already identified for that. It's a weed that needs to be out of our life. Now, what do you think blasphemy is? We all have different ideas of blasphemy. What is blasphemy? That's a start. But what are you doing when you take God's name in vain? Let's use that as a stepping stone. What are you trying to do? Yeah, you're trying to make God common. You're trying to bring God down to a base item. It is blasphemy is anything where I'm setting myself above God. You're trying to make him common. I, I, I tease guys when I worked at uh, Calm Air and at Chico State quite a bit because they uh, curse and they use God's name in vain. And I say, hey, can, can we like pick Buddha for a day or something? <laughs> You know, why don't you, Buddha did this and something, you know, use Muhammad for a while, throw in, you know, Hare Krishna or something, but, but can you, you know, why God? Because at its heart, it's man trying to deny God. It's trying to make God common. It's trying to make him just a byword. Blasphemy is, is about self-inflation. It's like by me Telling God what to do and making him a common thing, I'm making myself bigger and better. It's an attitude. It's not just a word. It's not just a phrase that someone uses. Filthy language out of her mouth. It's not only revealing a heart issue, but also a control issue. Because filthy language doesn't just suddenly pop out of your mouth. It's not like those words just, uh, you've never, what did my mouth just say? It's like you had a thought and an intent and then you open your mouth and it came out. So it's not just a heart issue. It's a control issue. It's, I'm not controlling what my mouth says. Now I'm moving fast. So we're going right to the shift. There's a huge shift coming here because God, when we pull the weeds of anger, wrath, malice, and filthy language and all those things, when we pull those weeds, God doesn't leave a vacuum. There's a replacement with good food, good fertilizer, good water, all essentials for growth, and it comes through God's word. Because you put off, you got to put on. Verse 10, and having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all, that's something, that phrase right there is incredibly powerful. Christ is all and in all. In a biblical God view of who we are in Christ, it is Christ that is visible, not us. Christ is all and in all. It's not our race, it's not our heritage, upbringing, it's not our wealth or privilege or position, it's not our color, our language, or our status. All those are earthbound. Those are not above things. That's not the setting our mind on the above things. Those are earthbound things. Is who am I? And I identify where I was born, my heritage, my race. Those are all the products of sin and they're the consequences of man's blasphemy to God. The outcome of Babel. Babel represents man uniting to do what? 
Yeah. We're, we're going to make a, we're going to make a tower and go to heaven. We can be like God. We're going to make ourselves a, a way that we can walk right to heaven. That was the united effort of man was to build a religious system that put themselves on an equal position with God. And God dealt with that. And what did he do? He divided mankind into what? Languages and races eventually. And sent them off to different parts of the globe. He sent them off to different places. Speaking of which, by the way, uh, things are heating up in Ukraine. In fact, next week, I think we'll probably go to Ezekiel 38 and 39, spend some time. But I want to make sure you're rooted. I make sure you're grounded. Make sure you're getting the right nutrition from God's word so that you don't freak out if you see the things going on in the world and you see the things prophesied. Guys at my work yesterday, we're talking, and a couple of them have military experience, and they're talking about, well, what if the draft happens? And what if we, you know, we go to war and we got to go over there? And they just sent $200 million worth of equipment over uh, to Ukraine. And what if Russia does this and that? And, and I sat there and I thought, fellas, you ain't even got a clue. Is this has been foretold in God's word, this movement, this, this potential action that's going on. It started in Genesis chapter 10 when the nations were divided and those areas... Uh, put Gomer and all those people were sent to different areas of the globe. This, this was already in movement. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 captures some actions that coalesce and nations that come together. And the people that occupy those nations are doing that right now. They're moving into those mindsets right now, into those alliances that in a lot of cases have never ever been there before in the history of the world. And now it's happening right now. And you think, what is Ukraine? What does it have to do? Well, you look on a map and you'll find Ukraine is a very important passageway for the North Kingdom to come down to unite with Persia, to unite with the nations of the North Coast of Africa into coming against Israel. One focal point, Israel. And Persia has never ever in the past history until recent history ever bothered or attacked Israel on its home ground. But what's the primary nation you hear in conversation about attacking Israel right now? I just used its old name, use its new name. What is it? Iran. Iran. That's Persia. That's the nation of the Bible that's coming in end times with the kingdom out of the north in a coalition that's headed for Israel. And yet, all the past history from Daniel's time before, never has that ever happened that Iran or Persia came against Israel's home territory while they were in it. Interesting what's going on. But I want to make sure you're rooted, grounded, growing in Christ. And uh, so in days like these, that's the first thing we need to do is set our mind on things above. Who wins the big battle? God wins the big battle. So if you go into Ezekiel 38 and 39, and you're not clear on that, that God wins the battle, you'd be like, oh, what do we do? And the guys at work are like, okay, if I get drafted, if I have to go back, uh, I want to be in the Coast Guard. <laughs> They're all picking what you know service branch they think they'll run and join if the uh, things start getting crazy. The above things that we saw, putting on the new man, uh, who's renewed in the knowledge, according to the image of him who's created. So the knowledge is whose knowledge? God's, God's knowledge. Renewed in God's knowledge. The above things will reflect the above one, Christ, and him alone. Christ is all and in all. The character of Christ will be revealed in the new man, not in the old man repainted or reworked or re-envisioned or re-released. The new man will always reflect Christ. Christ will be visible. Yeah, it'd be you, but Christ will be visible in you. We're the looking glass that reflects the light of Christ into the world. Verse 12, let's move along. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on, here's some more additions, some more growth 
material, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Here again, as the elect of God, does you no good if you're a wannabe. Real growth always has these components to it. Real growth has tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with another, forgiving one another. And as the house is built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone of Christ, the church itself as a collection of believers, the elect of God, must have these integral and internal building blocks. It's the cement that holds us together. All of them are of the Holy Spirit. It's not a self-help program. It's not a self-esteem improvement. All these items, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, they forge bonds between believers. They don't tear each other apart. They forge bonds and they hold the house together that's built on the foundation of Christ. Verse 14, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. One of the um, quickest ways to step off our high horse is to remember what Christ forgave us from. Because that log and splinter thing's a real deal. The things that irritate you the most about someone else usually reflect something about yourself. It's like, man, just the tiniest little speck in the corner of your eye can drive you crazy, right? Yeah. But, you know, you see someone else and, and it's that part of you that actually generates that angst, that anger. I, I think uh, it, said, it started in this verse, at least in my translation, it says, if anyone has a complaint against another. I'd like to better state that, I think, in, in terms of my life. Uh, when anyone has a complaint. <laughs> Not if. It's going to happen. Has anybody been free from complaints their entire life about someone else? I just want to see where the perfect people are sitting in the room. It, I'll guarantee you, yeah, it, it's not an if, it's a win. It will happen, but God already has something for you to do is to look to his forgiveness for us. See, we're not perfect. We're still in process and we still need his help. And we still need to remember who we are in Christ is we're forgiven in Christ. And being forgiven, uh, when you run, have you ever run into anybody that can't accept forgiveness? They can't accept forgiveness. And, and what it does is for them, it creates incredible anxiety to always be accepted in that moment. They always have to be, feel like they're um, being patted on the back or accomplished at something. When you accept Christ's forgiveness, you realize it wasn't you. It was Christ. And that's humbling, isn't it? It's not like, oh, look at me. I... I saved myself. No, you didn't. You ain't saved nothing. Christ saved us. You're like, oh, what do I have to brag about? The only thing you have to brag about is Christ. That's it. It's what he did. It's how he did it. It's what he put together in our lives. And part of forgiving other people's and accepting forgiveness is understanding that component. And then... We have to have the critical component, love. It's not worldly love. It's not anything goes love, but it's lo love based on God's love. It's unconditionally applied love. It is not unconditional love. Whenever I hear someone say unconditional love, I just have this internal cringe because Christ died on a cross. It was absolute condition of the sin he was paying for. God could not accept sin. Christ died for it. That was the condition of his love. In that, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his love, he died for us. He did that for us. That was conditional love. But it was unconditionally applied. What does that mean? 
It means he didn't look at who you are and race and merit and privilege and pride and wealth and circumstance and job accomplishment and degrees and numbers after the end of your name. What he looked at is you. He says, I love you and I will go to the cross and I will bear your sin for you. And you and you and you and you and me. Is he did it for us. His love, that love. He says we need to put that love on. It's the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or completeness. And uh, then there's another key component about letting the right growth happen. Don't hold back what God puts forward in your life. You know, sometimes, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you ever had a puppy or a little kitty and it's like, oh, they're so cute. And wouldn't it be wonderful if they stayed that way? Little kitty, little ki a dog back there in the back. Wouldn't it be cute if, oh, look, it is so, it's so tiny and it's so cute, roly-poly. And yeah, that's the dude that's going to lay bombs out there in your yard and you're going to step in and it's going to make a mess. And, and at some point that's going to start chewing on shoes and clothing and, and furniture and everything. And you're like, oh, what happened to that cute little puppy? I wish it could just stay. But you know, that wouldn't be right. Little babies. Uh, man, there's a moment I, I remember uh, in all of our kids growing up, uh, a couple months old, uh, the only thing you needed to do was just have a dry diaper on that kid and a belly full and hold on to that baby. And life was really, really good. And then they got to like two and they figured out how to talk back in full sentences. And it's like, what in the world? I brought you in this world. I could take you out. <laughs> You know, that, that first year, that first couple months, there's no arguing, no complaining, just contentment and peace. And, but God doesn't want us to remain infants in a static state. God expects and provides for all of us to grow in Him. In Him, not in the world's expectation, but to His standards. And the let's show up then. Because this is part that we have a part in is to let something happen, to let growth happen, to let God call us to be more than we think we could be or should be or even are comfortable with is to allow God to grow us up into what he wants us to be. And his growth, uh, that tree that was in uh, Chris's yard, uh, the trees that broke and fell down. Um, in a tree, it has to be exposed to stress. Or it can't stand against the wind. It has to have wind its whole life. Or the first day the wind shows up, it will break. And growing up in the wind and developing that tension of fiber and the wood, the cells of the wood that hold it all together, um, the, the tree in Chris's yard exceeded its growth, exceeded the amount of growth it had for the amount of tree that was there. So it wasn't strong enough. It had been a little bit sheltered. I think that tree was in a stand that has a couple big trees alongside of it. Yeah. And that tree got hit by the right angle, the right wind at the right angle. It had never been exposed to, and it got overwhelmed by a wind that it was not used to or is not exposed to. Yet there's trees that, bigger trees that are out here that stand in the middle of the field all by themselves, and the wind blows, and they don't tip over, and they don't come out of the ground, and they don't snap off. What's the difference? They're stronger because of their experience that they have. And God, I think, gives that to us as a demonstration. There will be storms in our life. There will be times of temptations. There will be times of trials. And what those are doing is creating in you strength for the bigger storm. Strength for the future storm. You say, well, God, I can only take this much. God knows that. He, he, he knows that. He knows the limit of what you can take. He's not there to break you. He's there to grow you stronger. But part of that's on us is because it's the let. We have to let some things happen. 15. Let me read on down through 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's got to be the judge. It has to be the judge of the circumstances and the situations you're in because we're all called in one body 
And then Paul used that illustration in Corinthians about the body and does the eye tell the foot what to do and the arm tell the elbow. And it's all got to work together. And Christ as the head has to direct the activity. We have to let the peace of God rule. Sometimes that's not fun. We want to, we want to rule. We want it our way. We want to do it our way. We have to let the peace of God rule in our heart. And then what was at the end of that verse? Be thankful. thankful. Wow. Praise God. Praise Him. And then another let, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Now we're getting to the, to the growth of the tree into a community. We're, we're getting the, the um, effect upon another. We're getting the interaction in the body of believers here, seen here in the interaction. What, what's really interesting to me is to do that, you actually have to be together. The folks that say, oh, I don't need to be a church. I go out and be in the woods and I'll be in God's church and, you know, just me and God and we'll work it all out. No, God actually called you to be together. You got to sing to someone else spiritual hymns and songs and admonish one another and all the let the peace of God rule. That, that's because of the interaction that we have in the body of Christ. God has called us together as his bride. And whether we're just here in Sterling City or part of God's collective body of believers across the world they speak languages you never heard doesn't matter we're called together and it's going to take a let on our part to let god's word be the direction and the guide for that not some social instrument that we want to make the social club rules for see man's really good at doing that is we start out and we say hey we ought to get together and do this oh that sounds wonderful well you know i was thinking since we're going to get together we ought to you know set a time that we need to get together and uh okay well that sounds pretty good we'll get a time that we get together and, and i was thinking that we should always start by saying a few things before we start just so that we don't forget to do that at the end okay we'll have rule number three then and then we go on and pretty soon well you know we should take a little break in the middle so we'll only do like 15 minutes we'll have rule number four and then when we're done we should clean up and someone's going to have to sweep. Oh, rule number five. And see, that's how social things evolve. But God's word's already the standard for us, whatever we do. We need to let God's word dwell in us meagerly and sprinkle it like somebody who's allergic to salt. Is that what it said? No, <laughs> no it says dwell in you richly. This to be infused God's word should be infused in what we do. I'm sorry. Um, there's some people don't like that we spend so much time in God's word and have too many verses and everything else. And, uh, you know, some people have said uh, they would like something different, not here, but other times. They'd like a little something else. And, you know, but when I come to God's word, it's like the main meal. It's the meat of the word. We need that. For our growth, we don't need just like a little tidbit of a verse, a little fortune cookie religion that we just crack it open and, oh, look at that. That's wonderful. A little happyism for the week. There's hard things in God's word. There's chewy things in God's word. There's stuff that's tough that calls us to account. There's things that correct us and admonish us and change it. But... That last part of verse 16, I like that, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Grace in your hearts. It takes a lot of grace to get along together. Verse 17, finally, whatever you do in word or deed, do a few things at least in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father through him. What? There's only three little letters there. I figured we could insert whatever we wanted to there. Whatever you do, do most of the stuff you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, giving thanks to God the Father for him. No, no, no. We're getting closer. Um, so whatever you do in word or deed, as long as you're a church, just do it according to the name of Jesus. No, still not working out. Uh, whatever you do, uh, as long as it's not at home when things are chaotic and the world's falling apart, do it all with thanks to God the Father for him. No, it says all things. Isn't that amazing? 
It's, it's such a simple little uh, phrase, sentence there, but there's so much involved. Whatever you do in word or deed. Whatever you do in word or deed. So whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever your hands do, your actions, both those things need to coincide. They need to connect. Go ahead, Ed. Ed. Yep. Anything else. It's funny how we rationalize that sometimes. Well, as long as, you know, no one's, no one's around, I can do this. It's, it's hurtful at times. I have some good uh, brothers in Christ I grew up with. And, and every once in a while, someone will come up and, you know, they go, oh, you know, hey, I probably shouldn't say this, but, and, and then they go to tell a joke or something. And I, it, it's hurtful. Uh, it's not hurtful to me. It's hurtful for me. Because this standard doesn't rely on our circumstance or situation. What we're called to do is, in all things, is we have Christ's standard. We have Christ as the standard. If, and, you know, we got the whole generation of the what would Jesus do bracelets and all that stuff, which is kind of calling us to think about Christ. And if he was right there in that situation, what would he do? But, but again, I, that's almost, it's almost making God common. Because it never really, it's a great idea, but it never got to the root issue. You shouldn't need a bracelet to remind you that Christ is all and in all. That should be the very heart of who we are, regardless of where we are and whatever we're doing. That's got to be it. That's got to be the bottom line for us. Is Christ is all and in all. And in all, we do everything according to him. Go ahead, Ed. Right. Yep. Uh, have you ever seen the tomato plants straining? You ever seen that? I, I, I have never, you know, like we got a couple trees on our property. I've never heard them groaning to try to get other than the wind blows, but I've never really seen them like, Oh, I got to get a tomato out on the vine today. <laughs> it happens in process. Now, we can strain them by not fertilizing and not watering. You want to stress something out, you know, a plant out, what do you do? Just not water it. What happens? Leaves start drying up. They start wilting. Things start happening bad. And what happens if you stay in that state too long? Yeah. Same thing. If you don't have nutrients, if you pull a weed out, I love this principle because if you pull a weed out and set it down, uh, I've never yet seen a weed crawl back over and get in the hole and start over again. You pull it out and it doesn't take but a 10, 15 minutes out in the air and the weed's already on its deathbed. But if you leave it rooted in and just bend it over, it'll, whoop, it'll pop right back up. The weed will get going again. It, sometimes we strain trying to produce what Christ is going to produce in us and we ignore the things around us that are actually stunting us or crippling us, or causing us the stress and the strain of life. God's word gives us a plan. Deal with them. Pull the weeds out. Put on the good things. You put on mercy, humility. You put on love. You put on all that stuff, forgiveness. You put on those things. In life, what's amazing is it makes pulling the weeds a lot easier to get that stuff out. And it makes the growth a lot simpler. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thanks for the truth that your word has. Help us to each apply it into our lives as you call us to and as you direct us to and as we go along through life. Lord, thank you for your, your constancy, your presence, and your desire um, to be reflected in us. Uh, we seem such unfit vessels 
at times. And yet you've chosen to allow us to be the container of light or the container of Christ to the world around us. Um, Help us to be good containers. Help us to be good plants, good growth in you to not hinder the growth that you would have in us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, look at that. Ten minutes. We can have us a quick business meeting. I got some papers you're going to have to share. And I need one person that could jot some notes. Who can jot notes? Okay. So, do you have a piece of paper or do you need a piece of paper? Okay. I have both items. So what I'm going to have you do is go to the last page. Use the last page. Yeah, these are small. You have to share them. And this is the uh, full expenditure list for our church for uh, 2021. Today is, here's the extra, you guys can uh, double share those. Okay. So the district suggests, I'm, I'm going to, oh, hold on just a second, let me stop this.